We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. CJ, would you ever pull a step over? I 100% would step over somebody, especially if I dunked on them. I think that it's only right. But like you dunk on like a footer, then I think it's just, it's even funnier. Because they're going to be trying to get up as soon as possible. And if you dunk on them and knock them down, oh man, that's even better. It was an adjustment for me, but I started playing with the NBA ball when I was like 14. It's the type of ball to where when you start to sweat or your hands start to sweat, the grip, you, your grip is better. So the start of games, you usually don't have good grip. And then as the game progresses, you have great grip on the basketball. Let's bring in some Twitter questions. What do you got? Rookies who have impressed you the most. The obvious is Trey Young. The obvious is Luka Doncic. Just his pace, you know, his control, the reads he's making, like when to shoot versus when to pass. That stuff that you can't really teach. That's a feel. It was impressive. Welcome to the Mike Musina episode of Pull Up. That's right, number 35. Moose! We probably should have used KD for number 35 since uh, that's the homie and he's playing well right now. But I like what we did here. I'm currently in Dallas, Dallas, Texas, getting ready to play the Dallas Mavericks tomorrow. Uh, wrapping up a two-game road trip. Looking forward to getting back home, getting some Christmas presents in, getting some shopping done, and some relaxation, as well as a mani-pedi because I'm well, well overdue. Jordan, it's Christmas time. Have you gotten any shopping done yet? What's it What's it looking like for you? Are you a last-minute person, or do you get things done in advance? First of all, CJ, I am the worst shopper on the eastern seaboard. <laughs> it is Hanukkah. It is Hanukkah night two, and I learned today that my wife had gotten presents for family, for friends, and I didn't even – it didn't even cross my mind. It didn't even register – that I needed to be getting presents and that Christmas season was here and that Christmas was just around the corner. So not only am I a, a poor shopper, I'm just completely absent-minded. <laughs> so that's good. You have your significant other to, to help you out and remind you of holidays and to also facilitate the shopping. How about you? I am a last-minute guy when it comes to shopping, honestly. Uh, I send cards out two, three days before Christmas. I've, I've bought presents on the 23rd and 24th before and tried to get them there by the 25th. Uh, I, I do things similar to you in terms of shopping. I just don't like it, but I will do all online shopping because that makes my life so much easier. I'll, I'll go hand pick some cards out and maybe pick up one or two items uh, in person, but the rest will be all done online. I'm actually starting today. I'm going to start tonight, have me a nice little dinner with my homie Lauren, aka my business manager, and then I'm going to watch Netflix and shop. Oh, okay. Actually, we weren't really planning on this, but um, just out of curiosity, have you discovered any new Netflix programs that are uh, worth mentioning? I, I just finished up um, Narcos Mexico. It was amazing. Yeah, you're like the fifth person that told me it was one of the best. So, have you, how does it compare to the others? Dear Santa, thank super you. amazing, and that was my Netflix. I just popped on <laughs> <laughs> as I scroll as I scroll through it. Christmas Chronicles is up, but. It was just really good, honestly, just being able to 
see inside of the drug trafficking and trade in Mexico, how everything started, um, who it started with, how they actually uh, basically took a desert and turned it into one of the biggest growers, actually the biggest grow in the world. They had, I don't know, thousands of acres uh, of marijuana growing. They had indoor ventilation, ventilation systems. They were just well, well before their time in the 80s. And they were racking in, I don't know, 30, 40 million a week. And it ended up being one of the biggest busts. For those of you that haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it. They, the, the DEA ends up finding uh, where it's stashed at and takes pictures of it. And they end up busting it and destroying $2 billion worth of marijuana. Wow. $2 billion. Yeah, I mean, that was the um, interesting part for me reading through all this stuff was just how ahead of their time, organized, precise they were, and the fact that they, they, they started growing in a place that was so arid that nobody even considered it beforehand. So I, I'm really interested to see it. Isn't that – but that's El Chapo, right? The 80s. No. Mexico. No, this is – yeah, this is Narcos Mexico, but this starts off when El Chapo is just the driver. So he's not even – Right. He's like a – he's just getting started. Right. Right. Yeah, he's 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 super low on the uh, drug trafficking board. This is going back to basically the, the founder of drug trafficking in terms of using marijuana in Mexico. One of the first guys who actually started it was Felix Gallardo. He was one of the guys who built the empire. He had a – uh, he had the, the brains and the knowledge to be able to combine all the plazas, you know, combining all different parts of Mexico and being able to kind of rally up all the troops. And then he ends up partnering with Pablo Escobar. He ends up partnering with the Cali cartel. And that's when he gets involved in the uh, drug trafficking of cocaine. But it's it's crazy how, how detailed everything was, who they had on the payroll. He had accounts in the United States. Um, he was able to really finesse everybody, everybody from governors to federal law enforcement to police officers to DEA agents, they were all in the payroll on the take. And it's crazy how they even thought about growing in Guadalajara in the middle of a desert and and, and how they had just the technology and knowledge to really make something that we've never seen before up to that point. Last part on Narcos, if you could rank the three seasons, is the third season your favorite? The regular Narcos with Pablo is crazy because it goes into details about his hidden houses and how he moved money, how he buried money, how well, strategic how, yeah, he was. How wasn't. he had so much money that he he had so much money and everybody was so juiced in, but when he couldn't spend it, so he had to bury it. And because he didn't bury it properly and wasn't sealed, a lot of it uh, was ruined. Yeah, he ruined hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think even to this day, they're still finding money that he buried, you know, depending on how he buried it. Yeah. And they said he spent like thousands of dollars on rubber bands per week because he had to rubber band the money. This is a, uh, an attempted transition here. But, because you know, Pablo, he's somebody that had to travel a lot. You're somebody that travels a lot. That was a, that was a, a, a rough transition, but I, I tried. Uh, I, I'm wondering. Me and Pablo wanted the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, CJ and Pablo, you know, not entirely different. Um, have you um, recently? You've been in the air a lot. I, I'm curious. Do you remember an airplane experience where you felt like this could be it? You might go down. That it was so bad that it really affected you in a way that you know the average turbulent flight probably just rolls off your back. Yeah, we had some crazy turbulence uh, over the course of my six years, uh, flying from east to west, west to east, going over uh, mountains in the uh, mountain zones, flying during snowstorms, flying during rain. But I think a couple of years ago, we had one of the scariest moments I've ever been a part of where I thought I thought it was it. You know how you get that 
roller coaster feeling in your stomach when you drop down and you get the butterflies and it feels like right it feels right. like you're just flying so to speak uh, pun on flying but we had a we had a couple serious drops on the plane to where it wasn't normal and it felt like something else was controlling the plane or that we were just free falling and a lot of turbulence to go with it to where the plane was rocking back and forth uh, where it just felt like it could be the end for all of us and that, I think that was one of the times where I was sleep I woke up out of my sleep and I don't normally get nervous on flights but wow that one that one scared me a little bit and, and, and woke me up and I heard a lot of people yelling uh uh what's the word I'm looking for yelling out oh no curse words <laughs> yelling out curse words uh towards the, towards the uh front of the plane in that situation, did you um, like? Do you have a anything you say? Did you say a prayer? Oh, I, I always, I always try to pray. Um, yeah, I do too. On the way up, on the way up, and on the way down, just you know, Lord protect us. And on the way down, thank you for allowing us to have safe travels. But during those moments, you're asking, you're asking for forgiveness for anything that you may have done to cause this. Wow. You're thinking about everything that you haven't been able to accomplish up to this point in your life. You're like, no, it's too soon. Don't do it. Wow. <laughs> you know, too soon. So a lot, a lot of things I want to, I want to get done in this life. But I think, I think I've had like two or three scary, like really scary moments where I was like, man, this is, this could be it. But besides that, it's been pretty smooth. Pretty smooth. What about you? Have you had any yeah, you know, any scares to where you thought this is it? Yeah, actually, last summer, um, coming back from Europe, we I don't know what happened, but um, we we got hit in some kind of storm, and the plane dropped. I, I, I'm sure a few thousand feet, and it, it, it went on. The problem was it, is it went on for like five, ten, probably close to ten minutes. It felt like an hour. And it was really terrifying. And and like you, I don't really get nervous in planes, but that um, that was it was to the point where it affected me when we landed. I was very sh- I was I was a little shaken up. <laughs> so I guess for you, like when you land on a after a flight like that, and you got to go play, how does that transpire? I mean, we have we have short term memory as athletes because there's so many games, so many things happen one night, and you have to kind of remove yourself from it. Highs and lows. It could be a great night, and then the next night you play terrible, or you're just not yourself, or you're just exhausted, or you're battling injuries. There's always something going on, so you have to have short term memory. So you just kind of put that behind you, but you appreciate you appreciate things a little bit more. I think when you go through those traumas, you know, even small traumas like as as little as a plane scaring you, you kind of appreciate the little things a little bit more and. Um, I just I just try to go hoop, man. I try to go enjoy it, realizing that you know I, I get to play a game for a living. So this is supposed to be fun. Make it fun, enjoy it, and understand that you're going to make mistakes. Things may not go your way. You're not going to play perfect basketball, but if you have fun and you play as hard as you can, uh, that's all you can ask for. So I think that's kind of how I've approached things. And even when you go through those little scary flights, or even situations where you have minor injuries and you can't use your left hand, or you can't use your right thumb, or you can't use your your feet and you're kind of, you know, hobbling around or on crutches, you really start to appreciate things, especially when they're taken away from you. Was anybody on the flight or any of these flights that were really bad, did anybody have like a full on meltdown where it made it, it made things worse? That, that kind of surprised you? <laughs> yeah. People that you don't expect to talk are yelling right. out, oh, right. shh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or they're getting scared or you see them kind of like holding on, looking around, confused. Um it hasn't gotten to the point where you pull out your phone and you try to send like your last your last second messages like ah this wow. is it in case I don't make it back. 
I just want to say I love you. You know what I'm saying? It hasn't gotten to that point yet, but I've definitely seen people who don't normally talk screaming and yelling, asking, what's going on, Captain? Straighten this out now. Straighten this out now, man. Wow. It's too soon. We ain't, we ain't, we ain't wow. ready to go out like this okay, yet. Okay, well, keep us updated if you have another tumultuous flight because we'd like to know about it. And uh, I would imagine, like, Denver and Utah are always tough in the mountains. I mean, th- those are the flights that tend to scare me a little bit more, you know? Yeah, I pray. I pray we don't have one of those again. But if we do, I will for sure let you know. Other news in the Blazer world, the, the Portland Trail Blazers were, were, were known as the Jail Blazers, and I would say somewhat affectionately now people joke about it, but there is a new book coming out. And CJ, have you heard about the book? Obviously, you know about the Jail Blazers, but are you familiar with the, the actual culture and the book that's coming out? I'm actually not very familiar with the book that's coming out, uh, but I am familiar with the culture and kind of what was some of the things that were going on back in, in the 2000s with some of those Blazer teams. Uh, I heard that there wasn't there wasn't a lot of great things happening off the court, um, but the past is the past, as we like to say. And now there's a lot of great things happening off the court, and that that stigma and some of that disdain that came with some of the situations that happened with those teams is gone. Wow. Yeah. Well, there there are some interesting tidbits. They talk a lot about uh, card games. Obviously, now it's Boo Ray. We've talked about it back then. It was a game called Tonk. Uh, Scotty Pippen was a big part of it. Bonzi Wells. But there's also the 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 talk of a flight attendant who who goes in depth about certain players and and how hard it was for for women on this plane and the the irony to it is that a lot of these teams were really good and, and you know maybe they could have won a championship had it been uh, a little bit more tight knit or or maybe less distracting but uh, I will say that the the actual stories that are in the SI article previewing it are very in-depth. Players like Sean Kemp, we talked about Pippen, Rasheed Wallace, remember Ruben Patterson was there. And there's, there's a specific story about, about J.R. Ryder uh, essentially getting in a, in a fight with one of the flight attendants or getting right in her face and how scary that was. Do, do, do coaches now, like, obviously it's a lot different, but if there was an issue on a plane whether it was a card game or anything else, do you feel like somebody would intervene, a, a, a veteran like yourself or, or a coach? Yeah, for sure. If it got to the point where people were about to actually exchange blows or even if the tones raised, you know, unusually high, I'm sure someone would interject, especially a veteran presence or or someone who's heavily respected uh, by, by his peers. I think that he would step up. He or she uh, would step up and uh, – de-escalate the situation but we haven't really had any any of those issues obviously everybody plays cards um on flights at some point a lot of players do there's a lot of gambling and um wagers uh, happening at at times on card games but based on what i've seen besides like little minor arguments no one's ever gotten to the point to where they was ready to fight but we compete playing one-on-one so if you, even if you're playing even if you're playing Mario Kart, you're going to get into an argument because you want to win and you're competitor. So I think that's just the way we're programmed as athletes. But you're right. Uh, besides that, I don't, I don't think I've seen anything out the ordinary. Out the ordinary. I mean, it's probably the same as your backyard right. football games uh, with the oh, family. Yeah. Like, you're exactly. competitive, and yeah. even though that's your dad, you might you might tackle him instead of ta- tapping him. Yeah, I, I posted that one picture on Instagram. I don't know if I put it on Twitter. I don't think I did. About should I truck stick him? Should I do the juke? I mean, anytime it's family. 
you really want to win. The issue with with you know card games is that because athletes are so preconditioned to being competitive, because you guys have a lot of money, and because you're spending a lot of time together, that's when it can get really dicey. And that's why these, you know, obviously everybody knows about the the Javaris Critton and Gilbert Arenas situation. We've talked about it, but I I, I don't think it's particularly healthy to have the the high level gambling on the planes. I think we've We've talked about a, a fair amount. I think some teams have uh, are they either uh, say no to it or they or they uh, try to try and monitor it. Um, but I, 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 do you agree with me or am I off base? I don't agree with you at all, honestly. I think that grown people have a right to do what they want. It's their money. If they want to gamble it away, it's their right to. If they want to, you know, exchange cars on trips, essentially, like like some of the things that we've seen in the past, and I think they have a right to. I don't think the gambling is as prevalent as it ha- as it was in, in past years. I think guys are are not more educated, but more weary of the potential problems that come that come with gambling large amounts of money. You know, especially in this day and age, the contract the contracts guys are making, you have excess money, you have a lot of money, but that comes with a lot of problems, stipulations, and responsibilities. So I think guys are more physically responsible than they have been in past years. But I think that you can't you can't govern a card game. And like people are growing, they're gonna do what they want. Whether you govern it or not, when you land in this hotel and right, right. you have 12 hours, 13 hours of, of free time. You can only practice for so long. You can only watch so much film. Guys are going to do what they want to do. You heard the story about Devin Booker scoring 70 the night before. He said they was playing cards till 3, 4 a.m. So some people, it doesn't affect your performance. It doesn't affect your relationship with your peers. It's just uh, something you do to pass time. And I think that even me, like I might, we might do a half-court game where we betting on half-court shots. Um, am I going to go broke from shooting half-court shots? Absolutely not. But I think that you know, just as a competitor, you you do things like that. Or we bet push-ups. We bet push-ups on shots, makes or misses. And I think that it's it's a part of life, and it happens at in all all jobs, not just not just basketball, not just the NFL, MLB. I've seen corporate people wager bets on things as well, especially fantasy football, some of those types of things, that where money right. is being thrown around as well. Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not necessarily that. Just to be clear, it's not necessarily the gambling like that. It's just I think. When you have young young men that are that have access to a lot of money and they don't they don't necessarily know the value of money yet uh, because they haven't had it or because it's such an astronomical number that I just it's it just scares me when I mean obviously the worst situation was Arenas and Crittenden but it does scare me and I remember I remember the Trailblazers growing up when I was when I was living in Seattle and you know hearing these stories it scares me because. Um, you would think that guys are safe in that environment, in a team environment. But if you're talking about a hundred thousand dollars and somebody owing you, you know, it, it just, it just, I don't know. It, it, it scares me, and it just, it can't be healthy. But I, I know what you're saying. I'm just saying, for me personally, uh, I look at it like guys are very vulnerable. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, and you should be. Not to tell people what they do, but you shouldn't be wagering hundreds of thousands of dollars on a card game. You, there's more sound investments out there. Real estate's booming right now. There's a lot of things you could be doing with your money as opposed to playing on cards. But I think 
it's up to the vets, the OGs on the teams to, to really steer those young guys in the right direction. Because a lot of times you're coming out and you got 19, 20 year olds. I would never let one of our 19 year olds go to that table. I tell them, don't sit there. Right. That's what I'm if saying. You wanna, if, right. you, if you're going to, if you're going to sit at that table, you better be watching or you better be the one uh, keeping track of books <laughs> for everybody because that's not the life you want to, you want to live early on in your career. Because one, you probably don't know how to play. Two, you don't have the money those people at the table have because you're young in your career, you're on a rookie deal, and you're still figuring things out. And three, they're going to take your money right. because it's a competitive game, right. and they're going to take advantage of you not knowing you know, all the proper rules. So right. I always used to tell them, the young guys, don't sit at that table. And I never sat at that table. Okay. I watched from there a distance. But I, I, I didn't even want to learn. I didn't even want to learn how to play. I love that. Because I know that I know I'm a competitor, and I'll probably sit down and – and when you go on that East to West Coast flight, that's a lot of games. That's a lot of games to be played. Oh, man. You know, I, I hear what you're saying because it's like as you get better at it, you play more, which in turn probably means you lose more. Right. Exactly. So, you know, it's a it's a gift and a curse because it does it does promote camaraderie because you start to have relationships with players. You start to really hang around guys and. And uh, you really get to know each other and kind of see people's intellect. But then it also can create, when you get up in the hundreds of thousands, I've never seen that. That hasn't happened on any planes I've been involved in. Okay. At least I've never heard any rumors of that. That's OD. Like, I think that guys on my team are far too cheap to gamble that much. Got you. And it's a compliment. Uh, when I use the term cheap, I mean just physically smart and aware that they wouldn't <laughs> they wouldn't take those types of risks. Well, I mean, I, maybe you'll disagree with me. I didn't think it was super smart for Mario Hazonia. To do the AI step over on Giannis Antetokounmpo, <laughs> Mario Hazonia, Croatian guy, lottery pick, drafted ahead of, as you just said, Devin Booker, uh, hasn't exactly had a great start to his career. He's trying to have this rebirth in New York. Nevertheless, I think he got a little too confident. CJ, you grew up idolizing AI. Would you ever pull a step over if the time was right? And what do you think of Hazonius? I 100% would step over somebody, especially if I dunked on him. I think that it's only right you dunk on somebody. Uh, what happens after that, you have to let your emotions you know, kind of take over. But I think he he woke up an animal. You know, Giannis went on to get, what, 36 yeah, and that's, 19 yes. rebounds? Right. Which is a pretty standard night for Giannis anyway. But I think that you need to be at a certain level when you're doing those types of things to all-star caliber players. Right. But, right. hey, when you dunk on somebody, you don't know what type of emotions are, are really going through your head and what you're feeling. Well, you just know there's a lot of excitement. Yeah, and if you go back and watch it, it's a, it's a sick dunk. But Giannis was coming from behind. It was, it was almost a situation where because Giannis hustled back into the frame so as much as he did, that's why he got victimized. I'm not taking anything away from his own. It was a nice – it was a sick dunk. But – I mean, Giannis is one of the best players in the world, and he woke up a bear. Giannis was not happy about it. And uh, I guess for you, to take it a step further, it, would, would, would the person you dunked over, be like, would that matter if you are going to do a step over? You know what I mean? If it was a, an all-star player or like a rookie that nobody knows, like, does any of that matter? If I dunked on Draymond, I would for sure step over him because it would be hilarious to see his reaction. I love that. <laughs> Well, like if it's somebody you know and it's like a good defender or like really athletic and you dunk on them, right? Of course. Depending on the relationship you have with them, I think it's even more bragging rights if you step over them because you know them and it's funnier. Wow. As opposed to dunking on like a five nine, five ten guy, but like you dunk on like a footer, then I think it's just it's even funnier because they're gonna be trying to get up as soon as possible. And if you dunk on them and knock them down, oh man, that's even better. I guess that's what Azonia did, and and I'll, you know, to be totally fair, I, the, the, you know. He did dunk on 
a footer. Like I said, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't straight on though. It was like no. an angle. It was kind of like no. an angle though. It wasn't straight on. But if you like, if you had, if CJ had a, like, let's say you drive baseline, you know, Gobert or Capella come weak side to block, and you bang out, and they fall. It's a no-brainer then, you're saying. Yeah, I'm stepping over him, and I'm doing the Baron Davis untuck my jersey wow. for sure. The one over Utah in the playoffs as an eight seed. Exactly. That's the one. That's the one I would bring out for sure. I love the Sham God. We talked about the Sham God and how, I mean, it's such a sick move. Right. But if you dunked on a footer, or let's just say anybody, and you stepped over him like AI and you did the B Diddy, I would legitimately send you a case of wine. And I mean, legit real wine like high-end cab pinot whatever you want because that's how special that would be well noted i will i'll remember this and even if i sham got it let's not get out of hand though <laughs> yeah i won't get out of hand let's nothing not crazy. get out of hand nothing though. crazy at all ha- have we addressed the fact that i'm currently sitting next to a massive stain in my in my room <laughs> i've been trying to fix it maybe that's what i'll do for christmas at this point the thing's not coming out for all of those who don't know, CJ ruined my couch during the NBA playoffs last year with a massive glob of butter parmesan pasta. Wait, the, wait let's clarify. Yeah, let's clarify. Saying, the pasta didn't get on the uh, on the ottoman. Oh, the it was the was grease the from the bag the that got on the ottoman. I didn't just spill a glob of pasta. The grease right, from the that's bag. True. That's true. Did all the work. It it did some impressive work. And uh, and your fiance was so nice. Your fiance was so nice. She said, "You know, let's. You, you got to fix it. You told me you're gonna fix it." And and I I wouldn't. I didn't want you to, but I was. And I was. I appreciate the, the the gesture. But uh, it's just funny that we're talking about this, and I'm looking at it right now. And it's it's. I've had multiple people come over and say, "What? You know, just out of curiosity, what what is that?" <laughs> so you have to tell them the story every time that I did it. But I, but I've told it enough now. We're like the fourth time. I was like, a friend of mine just spilled. <laughs> I don't actually go into details because it's I've I've told it's so noticeable that everybody asks. <laughs> yeah, that means I'm getting it fixed for sure. I'm for sure going to get it fixed now. My man, Jordan. Before we move on, I want to encourage everyone to go check out the live episode of the Origins Podcast with special guest Sarah Jessica Parker, brought to you by American Express Business Gold Card. To celebrate the launch of the new Business Gold Card. Host James Andrew Miller sits down with Sarah Jessica Parker to chat through how she turned her business idea into gold. Known as an actress and producer, she's also a serious businesswoman with advice and best practices to share. The new business, Gold Card, helps businesses get the most out of their spending by enabling card members to automatically earn four times membership rewards points on top, on the top two select categories where their business spends the most each month. Business Gold also provides access to a suite of solutions, including a built-in pay-over-time feature, giving business owners the flexibility and tools they need to successfully run and grow their businesses. From managing cash flow to hiring top talent, visit mx.co backslash business to learn more about Business Gold or visit theoriginspodcast.com to hear the special Origins Podcast episode featuring Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay, back to the pod. Got some Twitter questions here. I, I just asked Twitter. Let's bring in some Twitter questions. What do you got? I favored them. All right, let's go with the first one. You can answer this one too. Jesse Paulson, J Paulson nine. Is the pressure on the upcoming rookie class too much? Is pressure slash hype bad? I'll go first. I think that they do have a lot of pressure on them to, to perform at a high level because of 
how heavily touted and coveted those Duke players are. They're on TV every night. There's literally trackers on the dunk counts for Zion, trackers on the dunk counts for for R.J. Barrett. Haven't even talked about the other guy who could potentially be a better prospect than those two with his three-point ability and the comparisons he's he's getting to Melo at, at 6'8", 6'9", you know, skill, being able to go off the bounce and stuff like that. But I think they do have a lot of pressure, but I think they're they're prepared for it. They're prepared to rise to the occasion. The Zion-LeBron comparisons are outrageous because of the impact LeBron's had on the game. But with his athleticism and, and ceiling, I think that he could have a very, very bright future in this league. And uh, the way he's impacted games early on in college has been impressive. What do you think? Well, I think the Zion comparison with LeBron, it's unfair. The reason we have it is because he's a walking highlight reel and he's so electric and the body type is not is not entirely similar. I mean, you know, he's not quite as tall or long, but you know, from an athletic standpoint, that power jumping, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. I, I was talking to an agent today who said that it's it's like this draft is unicorns. And if you really look at it, you know, you mentioned Barrett, you mentioned Reddish, Zion, Kevin Porter, Bull Bull. You you have this litany of guys that are super talented that have had eyes on them for since they were freshmen, sophomores in high school. And all of them, for the most part, have delivered in, in, in college. And that's what's crazy with Williamson is all that hype that followed him around as a high school phenom, He, I think he's lived up to it. He's averaging 21 points. He's blocking over two shots. He's, he's defending. He plays extremely hard. So uh, I think it's probably unfair to a degree, but this is a really talented group. Yeah, I think you hit it. I I think you hit it right on the head. I haven't said this in three weeks, so I figured I would say it today. No, you haven't. You've been good. I think you hit it right on the head. Uh, next question: What weird kind of hobbies do NBA players have? This is from Michael Jasper. Good question. Yeah, Michael Jasper. I think the weirdest, the weirdest hobbies I've seen from players is that certain players have to get one leg worked on at a time. So, like, if they get the leg, the left leg taped first, they always get the left leg taped first. Um, they sh- like we do shooting times at the same time. Some people brush their teeth before every game. There's a lot of players that brush their teeth, which is great. I, I love the, to see guys in there brushing their teeth with me um, using that Crest 3D and those electric toothbrushes. But outside of that, I haven't really seen anything too weird, too crazy going on. What weird? Have you seen any weird hobbies from players, Jordan? Wait, hold on. Let me understand. You brush your teeth before games, right? Yeah, most. M- Pretty much every game. See, you know what's funny is I did that too, and everybody thought I was nuts. Again, not in the NBA <laughs> in college, but it was an odd thing for people. I, I I always felt so much better if I did that. You feel cleaner. You don't want nothing in your teeth. Yeah. But the, the crazy part is that we eat throughout a game, so you're going to have a smoothie. You're going to have some fruit. So it goes away, but you just feel more clean. I floss sometimes too before the games. That's impressive. I, I mean, I am with I am with a dentist. I am with a dentist. It's only right that I take care of my teeth. Exactly. <laughs> Shout out to uh, to wifey there. That's impressive. Yeah, she's leading me in the right direction. Um, have I seen? I don't know if I've seen any any really weird stuff. I wonder for you more like, do guys do um, like not lifting on game day or lifting on game day or uh, certain pregame meals stuff like that? Yeah, a lot of guys eat the same thing. Like. You see a lot of guys getting pasta from the hotel ordering to go. I, I like pasta as well, but if I take a long nap, I'll just eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but I usually order room service, and when I'm home, chef cooks for me at the same time. Uh, food's done by 3, 3.15. I eat, and then I head out. Um, 
I lift I lift on game day. A lot of guys lift on game day, depending on how many lifts you're doing per week. I usually get three to four lifts in per week, and the rest is body maintenance and recovery. But um, if it's a back-to-back, there's no lifting. It's just more like maintenance, uh, right. ankle stuff, stretch, yeah. going through some of the routine to kind of wake the body up and fire the body up. But just about everybody in our team lifts uh, on game day, touches some type of weight, does some type of exercise, whether it's a circuit of four or five exercises twice or four or five exercises one time through guys are touching weights. Yeah, I mean, if you there's some things that stand out. Like I remember Mike Bibby used to clip his fingernails. That was, was kind of strange. I mean, Donovan McNabb. Uh, I, I, I maybe not McNabb. No, it was um, there was a player who used to pee during games, and it was the NFL. Maybe it was a Philadelphia Eagle. He used to pee his pants during games. Whoa, I've never heard that. That's insane. I thought she meant, like, go to the bathroom. I was like, a lot of people go to the bathroom during the game. No, like, this this guy, he just said whatever. I, I don't care. That, to me, is is pretty low. Oh, uh, Moises Salou would, like, actually have piss on his hands when he was hitting. And I, and I think playing the field because he felt like maybe it, like, helped him get a better grip or something. I, I don't know. That's disgusting. That is disgusting. Yeah, that's 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 so that's so bad. Hold on. Yeah. If you knew, let me ask you this then. If you knew that having having some kind of piss or, or or something on your hand that was really odd like I that. Hate germs. I'm not saying feces, but I hate germs. So I know, I I'm know not that's really why I'm good. asking this. That's why I'm not saying feces, but maybe a little bit of piss on your hands. And you knew it was going to allow you to average 30 points a game and shoot 50% from three. Would you do it? No, because I can I can do that without it. I feel like I, I'm in a position where I can control how good I play based on my preparation. Right. So I'm not peeing on my hands, man. That's just something I'm not going to do. But I hate germs. I hate germs. But I've noticed that throughout the game I lick my hands, which is disgusting. But I think my immune system is so strong it doesn't phase me. Well, do you lick your hands to get more traction or, or just whatever? Yeah, yeah, because it's slippery. It's cold in the arenas, and the ball is slippery until you start sweating. So at the beginning of the game, you got to create some type of uh, precipitation right. <laughs> on your hands. Yeah. So I, I choose, I choose to lick them the Steve Nash way. Yeah, well, the NBA ball, if you've never practiced with it, it's an entirely different animal than even a college ball. It's like, can you, can you actually describe how much harder it is, or what kind of adjustment that was? Because like you guys are so good that they actually make the ball more slippery, which not only affects the way you can grip it in the rotation, I think, but the, the ball tends to slide off the rim more. It was an adjustment for me, but I started playing with the NBA ball when I was like 14. Uh, whenever we played, we played with the NBA ball because it was fun for us and we felt like we were just getting ready for the next phase of our life. But as my hands got bigger and as I got more used to it, it became easy. You know, being able to uh, shoot with the NBA ball. Um, it's the type of ball to where when you start to sweat or your hands start to sweat, the grip, you, your grip is better. So the start of games, you usually don't have good grip. And then as the game progresses, you have wow. great grip on the basketball. Interesting. Um, okay, last one for me. Maybe you have more Twitter. I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, Dennis Smith got his teeth knocked out, and he, this is what he said afterward. He said, I knew there would be cameras, and when there's cameras, it's, gonna be so, it's going to be social media. And when there's social media, there's ladies looking. And when there's ladies looking... I've got to be looking nice. Are you aware about all this stuff going on? And what do you think about Dennis Smith? Dennis is funny for that one. He's hey, he's a funny kid, man. He's he's an explosive athlete. He's having a good season. Sorry to see his teeth get knocked out, but 
I mean, he's he's a single young man in the NBA trying to live his best life. So he's got a point. He wants to look good, you know, at all times, especially when the ladies are watching. <laughs> I respect it. I respect his hustle. Whatever it takes for him to play better. I've heard Jordan Clarkson, Jordan Clarkson say that uh, I pl- the better I play, the more ladies, the mo- more ladies I'll get. The more ladies will look at me. I, I've heard a lot of sayings, so uh, more power to them. And nothing like seeing young men flourish. Oh, I love it. Okay, your best life, my friends. Do you have any young guys? I don't know, maybe Wade or any any young guys that are extra, you know, conscious of their look, maybe during a game. No, I mean, everybody does their thing before the game starts, before they go out there. But for the most part, you just go hoop. Your hair is going to be messed up. Your comb over not going to be the same when you come out of the game. There's a lot of things that that happen throughout the game. I mean, I wipe my face all the time. There's lint all in my hair, and I just go hoop, man. I don't even worry about that stuff. Got you. Okay, we have more pull-up in a second. But first, I want to talk about Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Simple and intuitive. Robinhood features clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. Place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. Also, there are no commission fees. Other brokerages can charge up to $10 for every trade. But with Robinhood, you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks and track your favorite companies with a personalized news feed and receive custom notifications for price movements. So you never miss the right moment to invest. Now for the best part. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple. Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at pullup.robinhood.com. That's pullup.robinhood.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Any more Twitter questions? There are a couple more, actually. Trent Pepper, what was your best memory playing at Lehigh? I think I may have answered this one before. Um, Beating Duke, obviously, was a great memory. And then beating Bucknell, uh, beating Mike Muscala in Bucknell my junior year to get to that point uh, to beating Duke was... Super dope. Um, changed my life forever. And grateful for those Bucknell fans, how ignorant they were, and how they helped helped inspire me to play at, a, at an elite level. Yeah, well, Bucknell had that great win over Kansas. That was their one uh, great NCAA tournament moment in the early 2000s. Yeah, they, they were nice. They always were good historically. I got one for you. Donnie Cash, rookies who have impressed you the most. Quite a few. The obvious is Trey Young. The obvious is Luka Doncic. Oh, he's I like Luka. He's um, unbelievable. That CJ, his pace and his feel, his handle, the way he the way he takes his time in the in the post, he's he's special, man. And he's only 19. He's very good. I think that some other rookies though, the the kid from Memphis, I like him. He's playing well. He's having a good season. Oh, Jaron Jackson, yeah. He's been really good. Yeah, he's He he had 36 the other night and eight boards. He's one of those guys that he's a freaky athlete. And he can really shoot it, and he just seems like the prototypical NBA player now. Like somewhat, you know, he's he's pretty much positionless. Either forward, he can play center. Those are the kind of guys you want. I haven't played against any of those guys. Um, I like the kid from the Clippers. Oh, Shea, um, Gil, Gil just Alexander. Yeah, he can hoop. He got good pace. He finished around the basket. Got mid range. Sam Cassell and him is really working with him. You can tell he listens. Um, he's gonna be good. I love him. I don't know what other rookies I've played against. How about Aiden? I haven't played against him besides preseason, but he's a monster. Yeah. He's how I thought he would be. 16 and 10, 17 and 10. 
A couple other rookies you played against. Mo Bamba, what do you think? Oh, long, athletic. I played against him in the summertime in Bricks Runs. Yeah, I know. I was there. Yeah, yeah. he's he's super long. He's got great timing. He blocked my. He's got three blocks on me. Little long arm rookie with good timing. But uh, uh, I like him. I think he's going to be good. He's got good touch too. Let's go back to Gilgis Alexander. When you say he can hoop and in his pace, he also has good size. So was there a play? Like at what point did you do you realize? Okay, this guy this guy's really good. I just I mean I could tell by my how he come off the pick and roll. Like whether he made a good decision or not, just his pace, you know, his control. The reads he's making, like when to shoot versus when to pass, that's stuff that you can't really teach. That's a feel. And just to see that he had feel early on, it was it was impressive. It was his first start, too. When we played him the first time, that was his first NBA start. You know who played well against you guys, who was a little bit off the radar, is Alonzo Trier. Um, do you remember him in New York? Yeah, Alonzo can hoop. I've been watching him all season. He can hoop. He's He's got good pace, too. He can play in pick and roll. Obviously, he can play on one-on-one. But I think what's... What's unique about him is he's efficient. He's efficient. He's getting to the basket. He's getting to the free throw line. He's making threes. Uh, he's playing really well. I'm, I've been impressed by his game. One more rookie for me, CJ, is Kevin Knox out of Kentucky with the Knicks. I saw him this summer in the Vegas Summer League, and he was scoring with so much ease. And obviously, Vegas Summer League is defense at its lowest point. I mean, guys don't really understand concepts. It's very basic. You have a lot of non-NBA players, but – but just seeing his body and his ability to glide and score, he didn't shoot it great from three in college, but he got better toward the end of the year, and he was really good in Vegas. And he's been hurt this year. He's playing right now. And I look at him as somebody that has all the skills and the body type, especially being so young, to to have a really good NBA career. I think he's going to be good, but he's going to take some time. He's playing in New York. He's in a big market. Uh, he's battling some injuries. It's going it's to take time, but I think he's got the potential to be good for sure. All right, Twitter, what do you got? Last one. Uh, cue the white music. <laughs> we go back to Twitter next week. <laughs> All right. Another week has passed, which means we've, we've had some time to go through the cellar, make some new purchases, uh, destroy a few bottles, see what's going on in there, and I recently had a dinner with some of my friends from the NBA. They were in town. Uh, it's unfortunate we weren't able to get the win, but we were able to break bread and have a few good wines that I picked out. I'm going to start with the, let me read this right. I had the Freedom Hill Stevenson Barry Pinot Noir 2009, which was very good. Uh, we actually had that at Departures Restaurant. And it's among the top 3% of wines in the world. The taste summary is all over the map. It's light, smooth, dry, but it's a bit acidic. Uh, it has vanilla, chocolate, sandalwood, cranberry taste. One of the favorites, I paired it with rice uh, among steak skewers, uh, chicken skewers, and sushi. I don't know if that was the proper pairing or not, but I really did enjoy it, and I'm glad I stuck with uh, another Oregon wine. I also had the Chateau de Vadu or however you see it. And that is straight from France. It was a 2009 and it can be purchased for about 59 bucks. Great value. Top 1% of wines in the world. And the critics rank it 16 out of 20. I would give it a 17 out of 20 because I enjoyed it. Wow. That's, uh, that sounds pretty good. So I actually had, I think one of the wines that you had on your list, the Camus. Yeah. The cab, um, very good, very good. 
Uh, I, I thought for me, like I don't love cabs. The reason I liked it, I didn't think it was maybe as heavy, um, but it was I don't know seventy. I think it was eighty bucks. Very good wine. I don't have the specifics of how it tasted in front of me. I did have it with my newfound food, which is vegan. I haven't even told you about this. I'm, I'm basically I'm going vegan now. And I had it with... Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're in the vegan wave? I'm in the vegan wave, bro. Oh, my goodness. And I actually... I feel really good. But I had it with some falafel, which is probably not the pairing. But it was it was very good. Mm, that's good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, you'll have to give me some vegan meals to, to try out and some recommend some restaurants I can go to in the summer with wifey. New York has a uh, bundle of vegan restaurants, and I'm starting to discover them, too. But I won't, I won't judge you as you eat. <laughs> your veal or whatever whatever else you want good well we appreciate all our listeners tuning in as always you can catch us on apple podcast radio.com or wherever you get your shows and don't forget to pull up pull up <laughs>